Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casillo. With me today is Dan Lyons. Hello, everyone. Happy ACC Tournament Week. The return to Greensboro, our favorite town. Yeah, this would be, uh, if this was a movie, the E's in Greensboro would be threes. Um, well, technically, they'd be like threes with an asterisk because uh, we weren't in the 2015 tournament in Greensboro. <laughs> Yeah, okay. So that makes sense. I was wondering why it had been so long, but uh, yeah, there we go. So it was uh, <laughs> the year before was the Tyler Ennis team, which I went to, and we lost to NC State, which was very unfortunate. And then that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, as I, as I noted on the site today, Monday, um, Syracuse has never been past the quarterfinals. Uh, they've only been to the quarterfinals once um, in the ACC tournament, and, and the only appearance was that 2014 season, and that was only because we got a double bye. Um, if not for said double by, uh, we will st- we would still be shut out of the quarterfinals, um, which would be an embarrassment um, of epic proportions, um, especially for for a program like Syracuse. Yeah, especially because like we thrived in the tournament setting so often in the Big East, even the years we didn't win it. Um, obviously, the sits overtime year went to the final. Um, I mean, there were a number. It, it seems like we almost always at least like won a game or two, and that's just been so difficult in the ACC. So, hopefully, uh, with our bats against the wall, we can you know get something here at least like a couple wins to make us feel good about ourselves if not like a whole run to the final or whatever yeah i mean we'll get into like you know the impossible dream and all that uh, but i think first and foremost you know you brought up something interesting around like how the big east teams used to always like progress a couple rounds i think there was there were a couple different factors there um a better talent on syracuse's roster be um, the bottom of the of the Big East. Um, I think for for a lot of like the sixteen team days uh, was truly ghastly. I, I, I think at an even worse place than what we see now, where like you know BC um, and, and and more notably like Wake Forest seem to be you know perennial bottom dwellers. Um, but they're still confident programs who are only like a good hire away from being able to to elevate themselves. I think that that, that sixteen team Big East, you know, uh, DePaul and USF in particular. Um, look pretty awful uh, more often than not. Syracuse was also getting a buy or a double buy um, more often than not. I think while those teams had familiarity with the zone, I, I think we also had more familiarity with everybody else in the league. Um, I think players used to stick around longer, so it was easier to scout. Um, I'm sure there's other things. I think, to be honest, I think Bayheim probably was better at in-game adjustments in many of those seasons than recent ones, uh, but that could... I mean, that could start its own conversation, but uh, I, I feel like there are factors there and, and, and it's just a bummer that we haven't seen it yet. I'm hoping that, you know, this, I mean, maybe, maybe it is this year that reverses course because it's been such a random season, but um, I'm hoping that some of the, the, the factors we can control that took hold in, in Big East tournament play um, start to take hold um, for, for SU here in the ACC. Yeah. And, and to that point, like the DePauls and USFs of, uh, might have been more familiar with the zone, but they were also very familiar with like really bad basketball players. Uh, and that obviously trumps all. Um, but yeah, no, overall, it's just like, it, it's weird because you'd think that, that the, the lack of familiarity or, uh, and, and like a lot of new coaches that are coming in and out of the ACC would make it, uh, a little more susceptible, but just something happened. Uh, and I don't think they're related to like the conference change, but just like, the, the, the weird stretch that we've hit happened just coincided so well with with the ACC move and like if we had just done it a year earlier 
like that 2013 team, I think would have fared just fine. I don't think it's that because we got onto the ACC, which some people have credited. I just don't get why that would be such a big deal. Like Louisville's adjusted fine um, for the most part. Uh, Pitt's had its own issues, but I think those are also unrelated to being in the ACC. I think like the timing has just worked out very strangely. Um, so hopefully it'll, it'll, it won't be a concern forever here, but I, I you know, I would like to get at least some momentum. Obviously, I think at this point, um, it's hard to envision a uh, scenario in which we make the NCAA tournament without winning the ACC. And I know we've talked about this for a week now. Right now, we're staring at uh, a path of uh, either UNC or Vatek, Louisville, and then probably Virginia to get to the championship. Like, maybe if we did that and then was, like, closer in Florida State or Duke, maybe we would get there. But, like, I just it's hard to, it's hard to see. We're, like, we're looking at, like, a five seed in the NIT. So, I don't think we're all that close. I think winning it's probably the only realistic uh, venture here. Yeah, I mean, for one, I'll, I'll give SU credit for, uh, for finally breaking that streak of two and four finishes. Um, That's true. So hooray us. Yay. Yeah, we finished, we finished the season three and three. Um, yeah. So only slightly better. Um, Even though we were way worse earlier, and the three and three didn't really help us that much. Yeah, and, and you know the three and three. Um, I'd honestly have rather finished two and four and, and been the seventh seed. Oh yeah, we 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 got the worst possible seeding in the top. Um, I mean, eight maybe was arguable, but like I would have much rather been the five or the seven. Yeah, I, I I'd rather been the five. They really just to avoid North Carolina, which is just. It's just extremely unfortunate how all this how this all this shook out. I know we've talked about it in years past. It's just so weird to me that the five seed wouldn't face potentially the worst seed in round two. Um, in that like eleven fourteen, I know it's like weird because we only have fourteen teams instead of fifteen teams in this year's event. But I think just how it shakes out is just odd. It's also like something you can't really predict. Like this UNC team, while obviously they finished in last place, like they're probably in like the top five in the ACC and raw talent and they can beat, I mean, they can probably beat anyone on a different night. So it's not like, you know, we, we just like lucked into this really strange thing. Like there are very rarely UNC team or number 14 seeds that are this good, like this talented, not good. They're not a good team, but like we, we obviously smoked us, but they've hunted with Duke. They've given some good teams, some trouble. They just like kept on losing those last second games that would have made their resume a lot stronger probably not a tournament team but would have been like you would have kind of understood um they probably would have looked more like our resume where we just lost a bunch of close teams and kind of took us out of contention um but it's just uh you know it's just a very strange situation and unfortunately for us they're you know in line to play us if they get by virginia tech now at the same time having seen unc play a bunch this year like they could very easily fall in their face in spot tech there's no guarantee that they they win that game at all yeah i mean i very much hope they don't win that game uh just because i think syracuse is much more suited to beat virginia tech who's really dropped off at the end of the year um i still don't think we had much of a shot against louisville um but i mean it is just our luck that we have a a potential like buzzsaw like north carolina um yes even given their current state of things um in in a you know second round matchup so i'm not looking forward to that but dan like knowing that we i think we need to win it all at 17 14 i think we'd absolutely need to need to collect four wins here to really make it. Um, if you look at the bracket, like, do you think it's just going to be a lot of chalk? Um, do you see any surprise team? Like is North Carolina that surprise team? Um, could Notre Dame go on a run? I know they have in the past. 
Um, could NC State finally kind of get some demons off their back? Like, like who's the, I, I guess, A, do you think it's going to be all chalk? B, uh, is there a sleeper? And, and C, who do you see winning this, uh, this tournament? Um, I, if there's a sleeper, I think Notre Dame is probably the bet. Um, I think they have a, a pretty manageable road doing BC, um, a Virginia team that's really hot. And uh, Virginia just beat them, right, uh, pretty recently. Um, that sounds right. I think they came back and won. It was like a tough loss for, for Notre Dame, if I remember correctly. I'll look it up. But either way. Yeah, that's, that's, I think it was like a two-pointer. It sounds like a two-point loss seems about right. Hold on, I'm opening this up so we're not talking out of our asses here. Uh, uh, fifty to fifty to forty nine. That was like a while ago. Yes, it was. Uh, it was. Uh, is it the fifty forty nine game? I'm thinking of. I guess it would have been. Had okay, been it was longer ago than I thought. It was fifty to forty nine, so it was a pretty, pretty. Uh, I think it was a kind of a brutal loss too. I think uh, Notre Dame might have been up by a decent amount, or was that the Carolina game? There's too many damn ACC games. <laughs> I think UNC was up big against Notre Dame, and it was the opposite, where Notre Dame came back and won. Um, this one, oh, this is a, an, over, the, the, an overtime game that's that there were, were uh, five total points in overtime. Real, uh, real vintage UNC basketball. Um, Catch the excitement. Yes, uh, congratulations on your national championship. No, this one was always just pretty tight throughout. Um, Looks like the biggest lead might have been like five points. So it was just a, a tight game. But either way, a one-point loss, is, as we Syracuse fans know, never fun. Um, but I think Notre Dame can beat them. Uh, Virginia is playing really well. I, I still, and we said this last week, like if I had my choice of the top four, I would take Virginia to face. I just trust them less. I think they're probably less talented than the three. Um, Duke's, Duke's probably a little shakier. Um, Florida State, I think, is just – the most consistent team, so I'm glad we're avoiding them overall. Um, but yeah, I, I think Notre Dame is probably the one of like the uh, non double buy teams I would probably bet on. And after that, like, I think you can talk yourself. I mean, NC State can do whatever. I just don't trust them to win a full tournament. They're just they've, they're always just so up and down. Um, I think our team, like, I'm interested in. I, I think like I wouldn't put it past us to make a little bit of a run. Obviously, we've seen us beat Louisville uh, in recent years. Um, this year was obviously pretty ugly, but that doesn't always mean that every game uh, against team will be ugly in a, a different season. Uh, and after that, I mean, you know, I, I, if we beat Louisville, hypothetically, uh, I wouldn't be super scared of anyone we would face in the, in the semifinal. Like Virginia, we obviously beat Notre Dame. We, we beat BC. We handled very easily. So, um, yeah, I guess that's my, like, Get past Louisville, and I think you, you might have reason to get excited since we did play Duke and Florida State at least like reasonably competitively. Yeah, I mean FSU was without their best player. I think Duke we actually played a little bit tighter. I actually believe the least in Duke of the top four seeds. Um, I think it's going to be mostly chalk, to be honest. Um, in this one, I think, like you said, I think Notre Dame's a potential sleeper. I think UNC's a potential sleeper. Um, cue the comment section gnashing of teeth um, about that comment. Uh, I, I think that you're probably looking at like a Louisville, Florida state final and I've got Louisville winning, but um, this, this is definitely starting to like, I mean, it's been this way for a while, but I, I'd be shocked if, uh, if the ACC turns into a five bid league this year. Yeah. It's, I, I've kind of just felt like it's going to end up being a five bid league just because it's so strange uh, to see us kind of locked in at this four spot, but there just really isn't, another team unless someone rises up from like us nc state notre dame that group i guess notre dame is probably the closest but 
Uh, so it's it's going to be a four team league unless there's a surprise winner or like maybe uh, a really generous uh, uh, selection committee for a team that makes a deeper run without winning the title. But um, yeah, just a really strange league because like I'm looking at the mid, you look at the mid ten and obviously that's been a better league than the ACC this year. But like the it, I don't think it's so much better that like they have eleven teams in and we have four. They just have this middle class that's just like it didn't eat itself quite as much, but it. it it all kind of rose to the top versus ours where everyone just like wouldn't allow uh, a couple teams to break through. Like, uh, you know, you have three teams at 10 and 10 and 11 and nine who isn't even postseason eligible, which is hilarious. And then a nine and 11, like the, the, the five through uh, nine in the ACC is just such a disaster because, you know, you very easily could just kind of trade some wins around and maybe get up to six teams in the tournament, but it just like didn't let itself. Yeah, it's, I mean, this is something that we've seen time and time again for other leagues. Um, I think it's just, and we've talked about this before, like this is just the ACC's, you know, first go around with this in a while. Uh, that, you know, sometimes these things happen. Sometimes a league just, you have a lot of, you know, roster turnover, coaching turnover, um, some surprise injuries, whatever. And it just so happens that like, you know, something like this happens and and, you know, on top of, you know, NC State, Notre Dame, Syracuse um, taking on some water. Um, you had Miami dropping like back towards the end of the pack. Pitt still struggling to get through. BC getting better, but not better enough to look like they were a middle of the road team. Wake continuing to be bad. And then UNC really bottoming out um, due to injuries in large part. Like that's how you end up with, you know, a four team conference uh, by and large. And then you add in Georgia Tech um, at 11 and nine, not being eligible. Like, there, there's absolutely, you know, some some clear signs that that this is a, a one year blip um, for the ACC in many ways. Um, but yeah, I, if you look at the other leagues that are projected to have, you know, eight, nine, ten, eleven teams, um, we've been there. We've been there as recently as like last year, where the, you know the ACC um, usually doesn't eat itself alive to this extent. I do think though that this could be um, something that happens more often now as you you enter into, you know, the era of a, a 20 team, a 20 game conference schedule. Um, and I know another conference, you know, the PAC 12 that struggles um, with eating itself alive, like 20 game conference schedule doesn't really seem like a favor for them either. Um, so I'm curious how this works out for the, for the major conferences going forward. Um, and, and if we start to see the big East fall victim to some of it too, as, as UConn joins next year. Um, and, and if all of that combined means we end up with more mid majors uh, or if, if, you know, the, the bar, I guess, continues to lower for what a bubble team is. Yeah. Uh, you know what? I'm aside from Syracuse, where obviously I want to see Syracuse in the tournament every year. Like, I don't know. It's the worst thing if, if it ends up resulting in more mid majors or at least like the major conferences having to prove themselves a little bit more, because, you know, we've seen time and again that like the mid majors, I think are good for the tournament. I, I think there's a little bit of like, you want a bunch of upsets early, but at the end you want, uh, you know, no more than like one real Cinderella in the last couple rounds. And that's generally how it works out, even when there is like a Cinderella aside from like the, the weird like VCU Butler year. And then at this point, Butler wouldn't even really be considered one um, being in the Big East. But like, I'm okay with just as a general rule, like the major conferences having a little more uh, on their plate to, to uh, rather than just like getting the 19 or 20 wins and getting in because like all of those teams are just boring. And, uh, you know, Syracuse has been in that in that range um, 
a lot recently and like historically, and that's fine. I, I understand like the, the the double standard there, but I'm not going to. Uh, I think overall, if we have more kind of interesting, fun teams, senior laden teams, it, it's certainly not the worst thing in the world. Um, that being said, uh, I do wonder how if this becomes a trend uh, with the, teams, the the ACC, Big Ten, Pac-12, the twenty the twenty conference team leagues. If like they reevaluate, I doubt it just because it's so much more to do with like TV schedules and contracts and whatnot. But you, you do see leagues like they're, you know, the money in making the tournament and getting those extra, uh, those extra payouts for extra teams um, is big. So I do wonder how they'll react to it, though. A one year sample size isn't anything to freak out over. Right. I mean, we, could, we did just kind of point out like how this could be just a one year blip for the ACC. But yeah, you know, I, I think that the the pursuit of more conference games and more controlled inventory um, on conference networks, uh, you know, it is a double-edged sword. Like like we've talked about the second it was announced. Um, while, yes, you control more than inventory, yes, it's more high-quality inventory. Um, at the same time, I bet that the fans of those teams would rather just pick up an extra win or two <laughs> um, and, and also, like, get more home games because you, you start balancing things out. If, if fewer teams make the tournament, um, and you also get fewer, you get one fewer home game per team. Uh, and, and on top of that, like fans are, you know, less satisfied because of the, you know, number of losses picking up. I mean, it's the same thing with football and, and the big 10 and PAC 12, um, hurting themselves and big 12 to some extent too, hurting themselves with, with nine game schedules instead of eight, um, as the SEC and ACC play, like you, you start to weigh that cost. Like, would you rather have more teams in the tournament? Would you rather more fans were happy and enjoying the product? Um, then, then maybe taking home what ends up being like less than a million dollars extra uh, when, when you kind of weigh those, like, like weigh those lists of pros and cons together. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm, you know, being cynical, I think the like, whatever they feel like is best for the bottom line is almost always going to win out. I think that's generally how college sports is, uh, has worked. But uh, at the same time, like if something becomes an actual detriment to the uh, team's chances to compete for a championship or even just to make the tournament and get those extra payouts, like obviously those two things start to uh, com- uh, converge. So uh, we'll see. And obviously the, the other side is a bit, is a bit 10 at 20 game schedules yet. I know they're going to it. Uh, I think they're at it. I'm almost positive they're at it actually. Yeah. So I think they actually did it before us. I think they did it last year. So in which case, like, that's the opposite side. Like, they're going to get, like, 10 or 11 teams in. Like, damn, Rutgers is getting in. And good for them. Like, I'm, like, actually happy for Rutgers, weirdly. Um, I don't know why. <laughs> I, I I have some Rutgers friends. But, like, just seeing a team that I don't think is any real, like, threat to us generally uh, dead in for the first time in, like, well, basically my lifetime, uh, almost my lifetime. Like, I actually felt, felt, like, weirdly happy for them the other night. But, um like the fact that like I mean there's just two sides of the coin. Like the Big Ten obviously hasn't been hurt at all, has maybe even been helped this year by having the same exact type of schedule that we do. So I think it's more just like a weird one year blip than anything else. Yeah. I, I, I totally buy that. And to kind of circle back on your point before, um, I, I do think like Syracuse aside, and there's a couple others too. Like Syracuse is a team that because of our style of play, we can go on a run. And while that's fun for us, it may not be fun for everybody else. Um for the most part, other teams just play your standard style of basketball. Um, if, if you're, you know, 18 and 13, 19 and 12, whatever, um, even like you know, 20 and 13, um, and you really haven't picked up a ton of notable wins, like, yeah, I'd much rather see like a, you know, 28 and, you know, five, uh, like 
a colonial athletic team that won the regular season title, but lost in the you know championship game or something like that. Um, fill out some more of these at large spots because yeah, realistically, like those are the, those are the teams that are actually going to be scary. Those are the teams that are actually going to run and, and keep things interesting. Um, I, I know as you alluded to before, like what the NCAA is going to do what's best with the bottom line. So unfortunately um, it's more likely than not, we see, you know, more 10, 11 bid, you know, ACC, big 10, um, Pac-12 at some point, SEC, um, you know, seasons than we see, um, you know, that, that, that rise of mid-majors. I feel like they, they've tried it out a couple of times and unfortunately for the mid-majors, it hasn't worked out. And then they've kind of like slapped them back into place, unfortunately, and, uh, and gone right back to just like loading up on like mediocre uh, power conference teams. Yep. I think that's probably right. Um yeah, I guess we'll see how it shakes out. This year's uh, definitely an interesting. It's just an interesting and probably like unfortunate like test case for the ACC. But you know, uh, unless there's there's real evidence that it's been an issue, I don't think we're going to see any uh, reversing course. Um, and also for like Syracuse, as we all know, the the twenty game ACC schedule had nothing to do with us not making the tournament. And something we don't like it was that we lost every significant non conference game. So ultimately, and I think if we were to investigate the other schedules here in the middle group, I don't think it'll be much different. Agreed, agreed. Uh, Dan, why don't we take a quick break for our sponsor? And we're back. What have you been drinking this past uh, week? Uh, a couple of just standard things. The only new thing I think, uh, or like thing I don't drink a lot of, um, I had uh, a seafoam pale ale from Thimble Island Brewing, which I think is in connecticut yeah it's in brantford connecticut i had not had anything from them before um pretty nice like super delicate drinkable pale ale um probably wish it was like a little more fully flavored but it was a uh, very refreshing i could see it being a good sum- summer drink fair enough um i was at spring training in arizona so got to have some four peaks hot knot um had some 805 blonde from firestone walker had some modern times orderville because um, as I mentioned, the uh, the Arizona and Nevada beer scenes are only like mildly different than the Southern California ones, and there's plenty of overlap. Um, the one surprising thing that, that I did try, um, I don't know why, I just like it was just way too hot out uh, to drink regular beer. Um, I tried the Bud Light Seltzer Mango, and as much as this sounds like heresy for this podcast in particular, it was actually drinkable. <laughs> it was not unenjoyable. This was uh, you. You hinted at this in Slack and was legitimately the most shocking thing I heard all week, maybe all month, was that John is is wholeheartedly endorsing uh, a Bud Light product. Uh, but here we are. I mean, it's it's probably better than the beer. It's definitely better than the beer, to be honest. Um, it's, uh, I, I definitely enjoyed it. Uh, <laughs> again, it was really helpful in like an 85, 86 degree um, heat with some baseball. Um also, 5% alcohol, yet 100 calories and only, like, two or three, like, carbs and sugars. So, realistically, like, if you're if you're looking for something that doesn't really weigh you down um, and also, you know, doesn't add a bunch of uh, stuff that'll mess you up, uh, a lot of sugar, a lot of carbs, um, calories, it's not, it doesn't seem like a bad option. I'm not saying this is, like, the official drink of, uh, of Trinian's and Absolute Podcast, but... Um, I, I will say that that one in particular seemed like pretty drinkable. I've heard from other people though, that all the other varieties are hot garbage. 
Yeah, I, I will say, and this is uh, seems very heretical for this pod, uh, podcast. Like, there's something to be said for those seltzers of the various times, and I do appreciate that. Like, some of the like craft breweries are trying their hands at them. Um, obviously, like it depends. Uh, they're very widespread now, so if your options are like a Bud Light or something that tastes like mango and won't get you hunt over, but is still five percent alcohol, I, I get it. <laughs> like, I'm I'm kind of fine with it. I think. Uh, a lot of them taste pretty good, and they're very refreshing, and they're good for the summer, especially if you're out uh, somewhere hot. And uh, yeah, no, I think they're okay. I still prefer a, a good, a good, you know, beer of that's more complex than like your average uh, macro brew, whatever. But I think there's a place in the world for them. I do expect like the crazy heights of the 2019 to not be uh, what we have forever with the the spite seltzer market. But uh, I think I think they have their their place in the. Uh, the pantheon of drinks at this point. Yeah, I mean, you won't hear me, uh, you know, shouting about different seltzers every week from here on out. But, uh, but yeah, if, 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 it's, if it's way too hot at Dodger, Dodger Stadium, I'll have one now and again. I've had, I've had, uh, I've had my share of like white claws on boats, and it's a, it's a nice experience. I'm not gonna lie. You heard it here first. The seltzer acceptable sometimes, uh, like on boats. On boats, yes. <laughs> On boats, there are, there, are, there are no rules. It's actually it's actually uh, it's actually maritime law that <laughs> only the, you're you're only allowed Michelob Ultra or Spike Seltzer. There, there is no oh, other I, drink. No one, no one, water. Ultra. Well, no one under fifty likes Michelob Ultra. Michelob Ultra is awful. I've I've, I've spent some time on the water in uh, in North Carolina. Let me tell you, that's the only thing people are drinking in North really? Carolina is, <laughs> is is Michelob Ultra. Huh. Like as a rule, it's, 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 it's the cheapest. It's a, North Carolina. It's the cheapest beer like around somehow. How is that? Oh God! I, I believe me, I have no idea. But I, I I, I've like attended. I, I've attended many a a boomer uh, barbecue. <laughs> <laughs> that uh, that that the only thing to drink is McUltra. A, a boomer queue, if you will. Oh boy! Now we're starting to piss people off. Let's go. <laughs> Uh, talking a bit more about basketball before we get to some mild football stuff. Um, Elijah Hughes was named All ACC first team. Uh, thank God, he's the first All Yeah, thank God. First of all, um, I thought that they were actually going to try to find a way to like not give it to him. Um, this, I mean, based on the voting, he was he had the fewest votes of the uh, of the five players, which means he's definitely not winning Player of the Year. Um, I think that he is is a valid contender for Player of the Year, even if um, it seems like the experts, quote unquote. Um, didn't feel like uh, feel the same way. He's also the first All ACC first team player for Syracuse since 2016, um, when Michael Benajay was it. Uh, so if you want to know like what happened uh, <laughs> to Syracuse basketball and why things have kind of shifted the way they have, um, that's one reason. And that's not even to knock Tyus Battle. It's just more to point out that not having a first team caliber player um, for almost five years is uh, is a lot for any top tier program um it's especially for syracuse and and that's why we've kind of struggled a bit is because without that go-to guy without that guy that performs among the top players in the conference um it does get very hard to contend against the the dukes in north carolinas the virginias and louisville's um, of the world yeah i think uh elijah's i'm interested to see where people end up ranking elijah's season here um because like overall like obviously battle uh, was awesome uh, for his, especially last year, uh, for what he what he did. Um, 
what you guys. But I think Elijah's game was probably more well-rounded, or is. I mean, we're not done with the season yet. Uh, is more well-rounded than anyone we've had in a long time. I think that's a large part, part of why you're, he's getting a little more NBA love than uh, Tyus got last year, or even like Benage or some of our, our last couple uh, star wings have gotten. Um, so I, I'm interested to see where people end up like holding him. I, I think he... You know, if he did exactly what he's doing this year and the team around him was just stronger and he was, uh, you know, not I, – I, I don't think he's, like, a, a superb, like, end of the game, put the ball in his hands. I think Battle's probably better, better at that kind of situation. But I think Hughes is probably more well-rounded and maybe more reliable throughout a game. Um, and when he was – I mean, Hughes had his down games, but I think he was more effective at, like, kind of blending in and and, and – keeping things going when he didn't have it. Um, so it, it will be interesting to see like where people end up holding him this year, because uh, I do think he's put together like one of the better seasons we've had in a long time. And uh, I do think he's done a pretty fair amount of love from the fan base. So I don't, I don't think people are going to like only remember him for being the best player on a 17 win team. I, I think there's, there's more uh, people have kind of taken it pretty with a pretty nuanced approach here, but um Definitely one of the best seasons, probably our best like individual season we've had in the ACC, which is nice. Maybe you could say Tyler Ennis, but um, he's going to be missed for sure. Assuming that his uh, this will be the this will be for a Syracuse career, which obviously isn't decided yet. But I I don't think anyone's super uh, confident in him coming back for a senior year, and, and he's graduating, so it's hard to hold it against him by any means. Yeah, I mean, you bring up an interesting conversation there around like where he fits in in terms of recent players and especially players who played in the ACC. Um, I think he is a, like you said, he's not like this, like transformative, like scorer necessarily. He's a very good, I think he's a very good jump shooter. Um, I think he's a guy who can drive the lane when called upon. Uh, I think he's someone who can hit foul shots and he's a, he's a very good defender. Um, I think he has the ability to distribute. And I think if, if he was on a different team, I think he would be able to distribute even more. Uh, I think he might not necessarily be the defender that Benajay was, um, but he also like didn't need to be. He also played a different position um, for most of the time. I would say he's probably in that like Chris Josephish range in terms of um, in terms of like NBA prospect. Maybe a little bit better, just because I think he's a better outside shooter than Joseph. But I also think like the game's so different now at this point that Joseph would probably be more would probably be a similarish player um, to use. Um, if he was playing today, albeit a little bit taller one. Yeah, I think that's a fair. I mean, Chris was probably, you know, he had way more around him. Um, I don't think he was ever right. in the same. I mean, he was probably our best, one of our, you know, one or two best players in 2011. Um, but I don't think the same things were asked of him um, that were asked of Hughes this year. Uh, but probably, yeah, I think I think that's probably a decent comparison in terms of like where people will view them. Um I think people might actually hold Hughes in like a slightly higher higher esteem just because he was so clearly the best player this year um, and built on his game. And, and obviously, I think, you know, there is some hindsight. So whatever happens in the NBA will probably uh, be factored in. I think Hughes, it seems like it's a pretty much a sin. I mean, it's hard to know with like how the second round goes, but uh, it might be, it's seeming like more likely than not to be a draft pick, which is nice. Yeah, I mean, right now he seems like an early second rounder. Obviously, a lot can change when I mean, you look at you know a guy like Tyus Battle, who went from like um, a potential like twenty-ish guy to somebody that suddenly fell out of the first round, and then we've seen the opposite happen for players where they've totally. I mean, you know, Dion Waiters, uh, well, newly minted Laker Dion Waiters, future um, NBA champion, who, 
yeah, future NBA <laughs> champion Dion Waiters. Uh, Waiters Island looking awful nice uh, right next to Catalina right now. Um, and, and, and I, I look forward to the yacht parties. But um, uh, the idea that it's like the island from Lost where it moves, like someone turned <laughs> the, big, the big year and uh, it reemerged just off the coast of uh, LA. I mean, would you doubt it at this point? Uh, no, I, 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 I certainly would not. But yeah, I guess the other thing to say about um, two basketball players before we wrap up with the hoop side of things. Um, I know you mentioned this could be the best individual season since Ennis. I would say if I'm looking at players that, well, if I'm looking just at players that made first team all ACC, there's four of them now. Um, Fair, Christmas, Benajay, um, and uh, and Hughes. I'd say... CJ, you know, I kind of forgot about CJ. CJ, like, sneakily... Although I think part of CJ's thing was, like, his whole career was so good. Well, right, yeah. Like, it was almost like a Lifetime Achievement Award um, in some ways. I think Christmas is... Pro- I think Christmas had probably the best season. Um, and I think it was also, like, the most surprising one because of how, like, he played to that point. Um, so I'd probably rank it Christmas, use Fair, Benege in that order. But, like, obviously all of them had great, you know, final... We're, we're assuming for you, but final years at SU. I think that's fair. Cool. Well, last but not least, uh, football stuff. So, a couple things that happened last uh, week or so. Um, Steve Stannard, Stannard, I forgot how we're pronouncing it, um, is headed to Kansas State. Um, as noted, I think in the article Andy wrote up last week and in like the comments since, I know I said some things on Twitter, like it's not to knock him, but it just, maybe the fit just wasn't going to happen when it came to, you know, he was coaching defensive line. Then he moved to, um, you know, linebackers slash uh, interim head, uh, interim defense coordinator last year that um, that then shifted him to a linebackers coach this year. He's really not a three. I mean, he's not a line. He hasn't been a linebackers coach much. And he's also not a linebackers coach for a three, three, five system, um, which is what Tony White's bringing in as new defense coordinator. Um, he's Sennard's never really been like a guy who was a, you know, coach. Well, he was never really like super involved in, in recruiting. He was involved, but he never was like super involved in recruiting. He wasn't from like the areas we typically recruit and he's from like the, you know, great plains, like, you know, upper Midwest area. So like going to Kansas state kind of made a lot more sense for him. For me, like I I obviously wish him the best. I I do wonder who Tony White's going to hire, especially this late in the game. But I think it could be an interesting shift um, that lets us maybe hit the ground running a little bit better um, with this scheme. Yeah. I guess if there was like a guy that you probably would have penciled in to like maybe leave at this like late juncture, it's an art probably makes the most sense. And I, I think for him, like obviously he was going to be coaching under a new coordinator um, and white, you know, was entitled to bring in his own guys uh, a little bit more. I mean, he basically only had brought take, you know, had one come in with him, um, not with, with, but like alongside his hire basically. Um, so, you know, it's probably something that makes some sense for both sides. Um, I'm not as worried about a late uh, position coach hire. I think you can go make those. Um, you can poach a die from a smaller staff or, or you know, you, you have things like that shift a bit more. It's more drastic than, like, starting spring without a coordinator would be uh, pretty unfortunate, especially shifting your, uh, your scheme. But 
uh, I'm pretty confident that White and uh, Babers can find a linebacker's coach late in the game. Um, and hopefully one that continues to like build on what we're, uh, you know, the slight change in direction and, and keep on moving towards that recruiting heavy focus, I think would help. Yeah, I agree. And, and, and I am curious if you can get somebody super recruiting heavy this late, but you know, I, I might do some more research here. The one name that seems to stick out is uh, Indiana State's Mark Smith, um, defense coordinator, also because the linebackers. Um, they work together at San Diego State. Uh, he has three three five experience. That would be the probably the clearest pick if they're just looking to fill the role. Um, I think luckily Dino Babers hasn't been looking to just fill the role um, this off season, which is uh, I think a good thing for us, a good thing for the progression of the program. Um, the three three five element is going to make it a little bit harder to find a guy. Um, White has largely existed in the Rocky Long coaching tree too, um, and a lot of those guys have gone on to be bigger and better coaches, um, defense coordinator, the city current like defense coordinators and head coaches around college football. Um, so it's not necessarily going to be easy to mine White's history um, for that replacement hire. But I, I have full faith there are some three three five coaches kind of hanging out around there. Um, and I'm sure SU's staff is more qualified to find those guys than I am. Yeah, totally. And I, I agree with what you said about papers. Like he definitely hasn't just been looking to like put a bandaid on some holes and try to, to get back to where we were two years ago. He's, he's, it's been refreshing that he's uh, looking to kind of shift gears and, and try to build something um, kind of past. Like, I, I don't think Babers is, is making moves concerned about his job safety, which I think is, is for the best. Like who knows what happens? Obviously if he had like a terrible season, you know, maybe something would happen, but he seems to be like trying to build up a part of the program that was struggling, but not like just looking to patch a hole and, and hope to, to, you know, keep from uh, taking out water. Um, and I, I don't think he's like coaching for his job or anything beyond like a catastrophic season. Um, so I, I appreciate how he's handled things thus far with these coaching staff changes, and hopefully, uh, good ones. I think so far we're we're pretty happy overall with the moves that have been made, at least on paper. You, you don't know until the season starts, but um, considering some of the things that have been thrown his way, I think we we've done pretty well. I agree. You know, I think, like you said, it's been refreshing to see him not just like rest in his laurels and not just like, like, of, of course there are, you know, some, there's some of the trying to do similar things, um, you know, with the office coordinator hire and with, I think even like white, like, I, I think white is, is expanding upon what we were doing well, I think with the nickel um, and then moving to a three, 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 five setup um, in, in general, like what I like to, what I like in particular is the recruiting focus of these hires and the fact that, you know, Babers is seeing that we're not necessarily really moving the needle um, in terms of recruiting ranking. And while that's not the only thing that matters, I think it's something that boosters care about and fans want to see, get excited about. And I think Dino understands to an extent, um, you know, how to get people excited um, and understands like the, the small battles you need to win to, to, to keep a fan base engaged and excited um, about a program uh, one of the other the small things I wanted to mention around the linebackers um, while we we're still here, um, Stephen Bailey over at Syracuse.com noted um, just some slight position changes um, on the team. I know linebacker depth has been a concern in the last couple of years, and it seems that Steve Linton and uh, Ishmael Goldburn, who were both slated as defensive ends heading in, um, are now uh, working out at linebacker. I think that could be super interesting uh, just because both players were like undersized defensive ends to begin with. Um, and now they can kind of use that, you know, pass rushing ability uh, to potentially come, come around from 
um, the linebacker spot. I think they add additional flexibility into that, you know, like three, three, five, like at five is if we're talking about the secondary, like could be a, a player like, you know, Trill Williams, who is a, a defensive back, or it could be somebody like Tyrell Richards. And now maybe somebody like Ishmael Goldburn um, or somebody uh, like Steve Linton, who, you know, is built a little bit more like a defensive end um, and, and could come in in certain packages. Like I, I think SU is going to, going to look interesting this year because they're probably going to have, they're, they're going to find different ways to use the three, three, five, their advantage and put the best, you know, 11 defenders on the field, uh, regardless of position. And like, that might work. It might not. Um, I think we'll probably see a combination of both, um, but it'll be good to get reps for these younger guys. Because I think that's one of the bigger things that's been a problem in the last couple of years where um, for either success or lack thereof, uh, we haven't seen as many of these younger guys. And that's led to, um, we have depth, we have inexperienced depth um, at many spots. So this should alleviate some of that, even if it takes the full season to do so. Yeah, it, it'll definitely be interesting. It makes sense to like move some more fringe guys size-wise from the defensive end position to a linebacker spot or pass rusher, edge rusher spot. Um, just because with a three-man front, like you need slightly bigger defensive ends. Um, it's just like a, a different look for your defensive line, which will be one of the adjustments we have to make here. Um, although I think both of our ends this year would have played in the three-man front pretty pretty easily. So it's not like we were just recruiting these like you know sits for 210-pound defensive ends so i think it'll be uh, a pretty decent adjustment um but we're adjusting a defensive line anyway because we do lose two nfl style caliber players so uh plenty plenty of work to do on that end uh, regardless of what the formation was going to be yeah i mean for as much as like i'm, I'm pretty worried about the loss of coleman and, and alton robinson i do think that there's a potential here to actually end up with a better overall group um i don't think any individual player is going to perform better than either of those guys um, but I do think that uh, their their absence opens up some opportunities now um, just for more players to get involved and for maybe, you know, defensive rotation to look better for us to have fresher legs in there more often. Um, I think you started to see a little bit of that um, last year where guys like Brandon Berry, who hadn't been as involved uh, to that point, started getting more involved. Um, Josh Black had like a kind of resurgent season um, in the middle. I, I'm just, I, I'm very curious to see like how they deal with um, the absence of those two guys and and how it could potentially, you know, help them both in the short term and the long term that they're able to plug in so many bodies. Yeah. And it helps that I think our, our interior guys are actually uh, pretty good athletes across the board and can probably uh, fit in a multiple spots on a three man front. Um, obviously, McKinley Williams uh, came back and, and looked good when he was, uh, you know, finally playing um, Josh Black, uh, Kingsley, Jonathan, all pretty like interesting players. And I wouldn't, I think all of them could kind of fill either the inside or the outside spots in a three man front uh, and get some decent pass rush. Um, despite like not being the same kind of like purely gifted Alec Robinson type player. Um, so we, we, I think we should still have plenty of production up front. Yeah, it should be fun. You know, I, I'm sort of working on a piece right now about the linebackers, um, not the position preview articles going to go up in a couple of weeks, but just an article about uh, linebacker changes and i think for me as much as like because like you said we have kind of those sure things up front um i think a lot could really fall on the linebackers and, and what they do um, but i think there's a lot of promise there and i think you know I, I think this new system could be could be great for for that group in particular who's kind of floundered um who kind of floundered last year um and like half of 2018 before putting it together um and, and after so many years of linebacker really like being the heart of this defense 
Um, it'd be interesting to see if they can get back to that, even with a younger group in, in, in uh, like in the mix right now. Yeah, and having a talented, uh, experienced secondary, which will hopefully take another step forward this year, um, obviously helps the entire defense. But really, you know, both basically like the front seven and then the back of the defense kind of kind of help and take pressure off of each other. So even if the front uh, takes a little time to coalesce and kind of find its way, having a really strong secondary that can lock up, um, especially against these like the you know weaker early opponents, um, should really help. So hopefully this defense uh, is given some time to kind of find itself. Yeah, I agree. This is where the, uh, the potentially easier early schedule um, comes into play. Obviously we're opening against Boston college, but um, more mild non-conference games after that. um, An SU team that takes a step forward, I think this season could find themselves at like a five and O start. Um, or at least like a four and zero start, I think, which is uh, which is pretty crazy. I'm looking forward to that, um, but we'll have plenty more about football as the uh, as the months tick on before we get to um, the 2020 season, which I think is a really critical one for the program, for Dino Babers, um, for the legacies of several players. Um, I think Tommy DeVito in particular, but plenty more on football um, once basketball and lacrosse are over. Yes, sir. Looking forward to hearing more this spring. It's, uh, you know, obviously the season was disappointing, but after basketball, um, I think uh, football, spring football, and just like the the pretty general cycle of constant good news because bad news doesn't really get out unless it's like really bad, um, is refreshing. So hopefully we get some more positive stuff from practice uh, amid, you know, the basketball team struggles here. But also lacrosse helps, as we always bring up the last couple minutes of the podcast. Lacrosse still very good. Lacrosse, great um, in many ways. Uh, beating Hopkins is always nice. Uh, beating Hopkins in the way that they did, um, even better. I'm always a big fan of it. And I'm looking forward to hopefully covering the team with a little more detail um, on this podcast. Dan, I know you and I are watching. I'm going to try, try to bring in some other folks um, who can contribute to that conversation as well um, as the weeks wear on. Yes, I'm uh, looking up the schedule now because I forgot who we have next. Um, Rutgers, uh, which has become a pretty tough opponent uh, on Saturday on the road at one. Um, so, you know, a nice preview to Syracuse's dramatic uh, run to the ACC title game that night. That would be – I mean, I, I'd enjoy both of those things. For uh, for those not paying attention, Dan slipped in that, that nice idea underneath. We'll uh, – well, we'll leave it there. Um, yep, the men's lacrosse team. <laughs> yeah, the, the men's lacrosse team facing uh, Rutgers, as you mentioned. The women's lacrosse team, um, I know, just got off a uh, a solid drubbing of uh, of Virginia Tech. Uh, we play Virginia on Thursday. Yeah, so that's the thing. Why did we play Vontae? Virginia? Oh, the crown, the crown. Uh, well, that's a thing yeah whatever yeah it's, <laughs> it's one of the, it's one of those random things it's one of those things we're like randomly putting we ourselves play, in because we, we can't play, play at home in bradenton florida do we play at img academy i guess that's that that has to be what that is what is this the women's team well it's once we once we stop having the ability to play at home no all right i'm just gonna run down the schedule because it's nuts we play at virginia fine we we play verse Louisville 
in in Bradenton, Florida, at what I assume is IMG Academy, because that's the only thing I know in Bradenton, Florida. We play at Notre Dame. We play at Loyola in Baltimore. We play first Duke in Dallas. <laughs> and then we bring UNC up to play at CBA. So actually in the in the city of Syracuse. And then we finish uh, at Ithaca, at BC, and then versus Matt, UMass in Albany. <laughs> it's the world tour. I mean, this is... This is fun, if nothing else. I, we have one game in Syracuse. I knew I, I figured I just figured we'd have more games like at the high schools or whatever, like the men's team does. But like, I get front loading the schedule because we had pretty much all home games aside from the Northwestern and the Maryland games to this point. Um, but, but trips to Bradenton, uh, Dallas, and Ithaca, and Albany for uh, quote unquote. Well, actually, Ithaca's a road team, but. Uh, uh, just ridiculous. Charlotte, Bradenton, Dallas, and Albany. Yeah, I mean it's 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 purely well, nonsensical that it's nonsensical that like the best men and women's lacrosse teams in like a decade um, could end up playing like virtually no games in front of home fans this year. I mean, it's tough. It, it, it kind of had to happen. Like there was no real right. good alternative. I don't think it just starts that like this is the year that oh yeah, uh, our men's team is number one and looks like a, a powerhouse and uh, our women's team is really, really good once again. Um, uh, hopefully they, hopefully they are uh, as bemused about it as we are, but we'll continue to play hard because uh, you know, you get in April and you weren't going to play in the dome anymore anyway. So get, get to the tournament and wreck some havoc. Agreed. Agreed. And on that note, I think we're going to wrap up here. Um, Dan, thank you as always for joining. Yes. Looking forward to uh, once again, our uh, not at all jinx knock on wood, uh, deep run into the ACC tournament, and then uh, a very surprising bit to the NCAA's. Obviously, going to happen. I couldn't agree more. Uh, that was Dan. I'm John. Thank you, everybody, for listening to Trend News and Absolute Podcast. You can rate, review, subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Megaphone, Overcast, anywhere else to listen to podcasts, and go orange. Go orange. <laughs>